This is an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany. And I'm your host, Andy, and each week we will throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery. This week, I landed on Vermont. Oh, another little small state up there. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so lucky, just, you know, hitting both of those right off the bat. <laughs> First try, oh. eyes closed, behind my back. With my left hand. Exactly. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what happened. It is. So now as some of our listeners may know, we not only love true crime. We do. But we also love unsolved phenomenon. Phenomena. <laughs> so, I do love it. So this week, I wanted to give you guys some unsolved phenomenon. And it's another triangle. There's a lot of triangles yes. in this here state. Yes. So we've talked about the your triangle on the East Coast further down south. Um, the Bennington? No, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we talked about that one. We've talked about Alaska's Bermuda Triangle. Like, there's a lot of... Weird areas. <laughs> geometric-shaped... <laughs> phenomenon happening in the United States. <laughs> Where's the circles? There are none. It has to be a triangle. Which this one actually fun, fun like funny, funnily enough, <laughs> is not really a triangle. Okay. So the Bennington Triangle is a roughly defined and certainly not a triangular region in okay. Vermont. It's kind of like a weird shape, but they just I think we just with these weird regions of paranormal phenomenon, we call them triangles. Yeah, I don't know why. Me neither. I, I don't mean, know where that came from. It's better than like a sphere or a dome. <laughs> There's a dome of paranormal phenomenon. Don't go in there. Dome, 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 dome. <laughs> so this region is in southwestern Vermont. And it is known to be the epicenter of, like, weirdness and tragedy. Okay. So, north of Bennington, this region is a hotbed of UFO and Bigfoot sightings. And there are even legends of man-eating rocks. Oh, what? That's yeah. weird. There is even some folklore that is focused on a beast known as the Red-Eyed Bennington Monster. Now, what I kind of focused more on were... Just the unsolved disappearances in this region. Okay. I didn't really go into like the, I feel like we get kind of like a little out of the realm of like unsolved America when we talk about like beasts and monsters and I stuff like, like it that. Though. I like it. I, <coughs> it's just crazy things that you're hearing or people are saying that they're seeing. Yeah. But so I wanted to focus on, and there wasn't a lot of information on like the beasts and the monsters and the UFO sightings are just kind of like stuff we've already, like nothing out of what we've already talked about in these other areas. Right, right. So I focused more on people that have gone missing in the region and then just the overall history of the region itself. Okay. So in the region, in this region, there is the Glastonbury Mountain and it is a 37,000 foot peak. And is a part of 400,000 acres of national forest. That's a lot of space. Big, big area. 
<laughs> Big area. Uh, so it's also the home to Glastonbury, which is a ghost town. Mm-hmm. South Gla- Glastonbury is the official name. Um, during the mid-1800s, Vermont was in the midst of a logging boom. So during this time, there were two primary settlements in Glastonbury, one called South Glastonbury, and the other was called Fayville. Okay. Both towns were thriving due to the logging and coal industries. Mm-hmm. However, by the late 1880s, the majority of the mountain had been cleared out, and with it, the town's population rapidly declined. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Happens a lot. It happened a lot back in the day. Yeah, definitely. We would just take all of the Earth's resources and be like, we're gone. Bye. Yep. So, in 1894, I'm sorry, in 1889, the local rail line from Bennington to Glastonbury stopped service, and with that, it cut off access to the remote mountain town completely. Okay. In 1894, a trolley service was put in uh, put in, in order to develop South Glastonbury as a tourist attraction. They put up a resort and casino in the area, and it opened in the summer of 1898. However, later that year, a flood demolished the train tracks to the resort, and it soon was abandoned and left to survive the elements. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that some stuff, though, like building a casino and, like, a whole city and yeah. then it being washed away? Right. Well, it's in the in the city was fine. It literally was just, like, a, a big chunk of the railroad track to get there mm-hmm. was completely flooded and destroyed. So you just couldn't get there anymore. So then, I'm like, the owner of the resort was like, well, guess we're done with that. You know, instead of rebuilding the right area, <laughs> details. Uh, so, in 1937, the state of Vermont unincorporated Glast- Glastonbury. Okay. So it was no longer like a official city. Oh. The only thing that stands are the stone foundations of the sawmills and a decaying footbridge over the brook. The mountain has since reclaimed its land, and now it just it's the perfect setting for, like, you know, ghost stories. And, you know, I, I there's kind of, like, this weird connotation with the term ghost town. I think it automatically, like, just spooks people out. Yeah, it makes it seem like it's haunted it rather does. than, like... It's an abandoned town. But I do love ghost I towns. love... Me too. I... There are several in Colorado, and I've always wanted to go. I've been to a couple. I love it. And it is. It's creepy when you go because it's abandoned and you can see it's like it's 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 a building and it's a place that is frozen in time. Right. Like everything stands the way it did back in like the 1800s and there have been no like nothing's been done to improve it and nothing's been done to make it better. It just it's the same original architecture. It's the same wood. It's everything. It's creepy. Things are dilapidated. Things are falling apart. It's creepy. I get it. I get it. I mean, but also people are monetizing that and yeah. trying to set up little gift shops and yeah, things like that in True. these ghost towns. True. So between 1945 and 1950, there were eight disappearances uh, documented on or near Glastonbury Mountain. Okay. 
the they all remain unsolved. The most famous case is that of Paula Jean Weldon, who disappeared without a trace on December 1st, 1946. The Bennington College student went for just a day hike on the long trail, uh, and she never returned home. Hmm. A massive three-week search was turned out to be fruitless. Uh, criticism of the flawed methodology of that manhunt ultimately led to the formation of the Vermont State Police. Okay. Which, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Weldon was last seen wearing red, which gave birth to the local, like, lore that wearing crimson on the peak is bad luck. Mm-hmm. It might not be the first superstition Glastonbury Mountain has inspired. Uh, another well-known lore is that Native American tribes in the area would avoid the mountain range, believing it to be cursed. There is not much more information than that. They haven't really, like, we don't have, like, the stories of, like, how that came to fruition. Yeah. But it is, like, a popular lore uh, amongst, like, Native American tribes. That's so cool. I wonder, yeah, I wish I knew why they thought right. that. So, Tyler Resch is a research librarian at the Bennington Museum, and as he's also written several books about the area. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that, I'm surprised more people haven't been lost up there. The area is just, it's massive. Uh, it's easy for people to get lost because of the size of it. Um, yeah. So he's just surprised that more people haven't disappeared. But he said, people who, in my, well, he didn't say this, in my <laughs> opinion, I think people who, People who go into a region like that are experienced. Yes. And they know what they're doing. They know how to navigate and they know how to live like out there, you know, like for weeks or however long it takes to like go through like from point A to point B. Um, And I, in my opinion, it's the more inexperienced hikers and and people that just kind of like, I'm just going to go on this quick hike. Those are the people that maybe are more prone to getting lost. Yeah. But those are also the more they're more prone to actually going to a trail rather than going out into the wilderness. That's true. Because you're right. There's a lot of survivalists that mm-hmm. know what to do and know how to fend for themselves off the land. Yeah, definitely. So Tyler Rush doesn't believe that the mountain is haunted. Uh, he always he said that he, his his job is to document history and not like supernatural phenomenon. <laughs> so he's like, I'm just going to give you the facts of like what's there. And I'm not going to give you like any of the speculation that like the rumor mill has created. But we love the speculation. I know. <laughs> so I wanted to go over just the numerous disappearances on the mountain. Uh, they all range between 1945 and 1950, okay. which I do think is interesting in a five year period. Mm-hmm. All of these people went missing. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't know how many you're going to talk about, but that's that's a lot for one little area. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, five people total. So one a year. Uh, yeah. Essentially. So the first disappearance occurred on November 12th, 1945, when 74-year-old Mitty Rivers disappeared while out hunting. Okay. Rivers was guiding a group of four hunters up the mountain. On the way back, Rivers got ahead of the group and was never seen again. That's creepy. An extensive search was conducted, but the only evidence discovered was a single rifle cartridge that was found in a stream. The speculation was that Rivers had leaned over and the cartridge had dropped out of his pocket into the water. The disappearance had occurred in the long trail 
Road area and Vermont Route 9. Rivers was an experienced hunter and fisherman and was familiar with the local area. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's crazy that he would go disappearing if he was already experienced with the area. Absolutely. It contradicts everything I just said before. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's bizarre, especially because it, it's on the same trail that Paula Weldon went hiking on. That's weird. Right. So maybe there's something supernatural going on there. Or maybe man eating rocks. Maybe. Or maybe there's like I really wanted to find more information on these man eating rocks. I could not. I would have loved that. I Me mean, too. I searched for two hours, y'all. <laughs> and I could not find any like substantial story or lore behind these man-eating rocks. It was just this one article that mentioned them, and I said, I want to know more. (laughs) I'm going to write that man a strongly worded email. How dare you say man-eating rocks? And not give back up. (laughs) Or tell me about it. Right. (laughs) What the F? What the heck? So next, I'll go a little bit more into detail about Paula Weldon. I mentioned her earlier, just very briefly. Mm -hmm. So Paula Weldon was... 18 when she disappeared um she was a sophomore at bennington college she had set out for a hike on the long trail many saw her go including ernest whitman a bennington banner employee who gave her directions she was alleged to have been seen on the trail itself by an elderly couple who were about 100 yards behind her according to them she turned a corner in the trail and when they reached the same corner she had disappeared an extensive search was conducted when Weldon did not return to campus, which included the posting of a $5,000 reward, and it sparked help from the FBI. Okay. However, no evidence of her was ever found. Also, she was not wearing a she was not wearing a jacket and considered and considering that it was 50 degrees outside and then later dropped to 9 degrees that night makes this even more of a mystery. Mm-hmm. Unconfirmed rumors speculated that she had moved to Canada with a boyfriend or that she became a recluse living in the mountains. Okay. And it's funny because now that I'm I read that, it kind of contradicts what it said before. She was seen wearing a red shirt. Maybe it was just a shirt, not a jacket. Yeah. Anyway. So Weldon's disappearance was actually the inspiration for the 1951 novel novel uh mm-hmm. Hang Samon by Shirley Jackson. Okay. Might want to read that book. Maybe they'll talk about man-eating rocks. And then we can do a follow-up. Yeah, because I want to know about man-eating rocks. Dude. I don't even (laughs) remember his name. Sir? Sir? Tell me. Sir who brought up man-eating rocks? How dare you? I mean, I'm just trying to imagine, like, a rock. Eating a person. Like, opening up and... Does it have teeth? I don't know. It would have to, right? Or no teeth. I don't know. No, 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 no. Because rocks could break bones. They could. On their own. So they don't need teeth. It doesn't need to be sharp. But rocks also are sharp. Well, it depends on how you cut them. I know. Or how it's formed. I want to see a man eating rock. I mean, not like personally. <laughs> I just want to know, like, I want to know the story behind it. Anyway. Next. So that was 1948. Next, we have 1949. James Tedford. He was a veteran and he was the third person to disappear. He went missing on December 1st, 1949, exactly three years after Paula Weldon had disappeared. That's weird. Exactly three years after Paula disappeared. Like, to the day. That is weird. Hmm. Tedford was a resident of the Bennington Soldiers' home. He had been in St. Albans visiting relatives who accompanied him to a local bus, which was the last time he was seen. 
According to witnesses, Tedford got on the bus and was still on the bus at the last stop before arriving in Bennington. Somewhere between the last stop and Bennington, Tedford vanished. His belongings were still on the luggage rack and an open bus timetable was on his vacant seat. Huh. Yeah. What? What? Why? Yeah. Oh. So. Hmm. It, that's that's creepy. So then our last two disappearances were in 1950. Okay. The fourth person to vanish was eight-year-old Paul Jepson. On October 12th, 1950, Jepson had accompanied his mother in a truck. She left her son unattended while she fed some pigs. His mother was gone for about an hour. When she returned, her son was nowhere in sight. Search parties were formed to look for the child. Nothing was ever found. Though Jepson was wearing a bright red jacket that should have made him more visible. According to one story, bloodhounds tracked the boy to a local highway where, according to local legend, four years earlier, Paula Weldon had disappeared. Also wearing red. I mean, is that it? Oh, and you said it, that it people was... didn't like to wear crimson. Yep. On the peak. Yeah. Hmm. Our last disappearance. Okay. Which is the fifth and final disappearance occurred 16 days after Jepson had vanished. On October 28, 1950, Frida Langer, 53, and her cousin Herbert Elsner left their family campsite near the Somerset Reservoir to go on a hike. During the hike, Langer slipped and fell into a stream. She told Elsner if he would wait, she would go back to the campsite, change clothes, and catch up to him. When she did not return, Elsner made his way back to the campsite and discovered Langer had not returned and that nobody had seen her since they had both left. Over the next two weeks, five searches were conducted involving aircraft, helicopters, and up to 300 searchers. No trace of Langer was found during the search. On May 12, 1951, her body was found three and a half miles from the camp at the Somerset Reservoir in the east branch of the Deerfield River, an area that had been... Only lightly searched seven months previously. No cause of death could be determined because of the condition of her remains. Mm. Langer was the last person to disappear and the only one whose body was found. No direct connections have been identified that tie these cases together other than the general geographic area and time period. So, I mean, I think that last statement is a lie because some of those people were wearing red. I also thought it was very interesting the age groups of them. Mm-hmm. It ranged from like a seven year old, was it, to like a 74 year old? That, yeah, I mean, there's no, the rocks had no discrimination. The rocks were hungry. <laughs> no, but that is really weird. It's just random, random people. And the, the color of red is interesting because that was like a superstition mm-hmm. that you don't wear red on the peak. The people that were wearing red went missing. I mean, does, it, does the color red like anger the spirits? Maybe. Or there might be like an animal up there that just doesn't like red. But see, if the if it was an animal, there would be there would be evidence of that person still. You know what I mean? To like shreds of clothing or like even foot tracks. Foot tracks. Footprints. Same thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it was an animal. I don't know. It's, dis- and it's weird that they just disappeared without like a trace and homeboy like reaching over in the river. And that was the only thing that he found. And he was an experienced hunter and he knew the area well. Yeah. Well, and did they say that shell was just a like intact shell or was it shot? Uh, it sounds like it was an intact shell because their theory was that he leaned over the river and it fell out of his pocket. Okay. That's so crazy. Yeah. Super weird. So those are that's that's the folklore of Connecticut in the Glastonbury area. 
uh, weird ghost town. You got a lot of disappearances. There's apparently man-eating rocks yet to be confirmed. Bigfoot sightings, UFOs. It's a weird, not triangle area. Just don't wear red in that area. Don't wear red. I mean, red never really looks good on anybody. Depends on the color of red. I'm thinking, I always think like bright target red. No, I like like a crim. I do like crimson red. I like a nice burgundy. Yes. Yeah. Don't wear that either. I won't wear that. Don't wear any shade of red on that mountain. I probably wouldn't go to that mountain. I mean, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, not for me. <laughs> Tell me all these people disappeared. Oh, no. No, thank you. <laughs> no, they, unless I'm with like 20 people. Even then, I don't think it's safe. Some of those people had groups. Some of those people had groups with hunters. Yeah, but then they must have gone off by themselves. He did break. He, you know, he. That's where. That's what. That's where he messed up was because he he broke apart and he got ahead of them. Yeah, I would not break. But apart. ahead of them, I would think would be safer because they're following you. Yeah, but it's I'd, if you fell behind and nobody like you know had an eye on you. Yeah, but if you're being and, taken by whatever. Yeah. And you're not in sight of other people, even That's if you're true. behind or ahead. That's true. Paula, she was seen by that elderly couple walking up the mountain and she turned a corner. And when they when they turned that same corner, she was gone. Yeah. So mm. be in the sights of others. Absolutely. Safety in numbers. Always. Always. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamericamvp at gmail.com and we'll talk to you next week. This has been an MVP podcast. My Village Productions. 